welcome to the Data Rockstars Coffee Pod with me, Regina Lally. And today I've got my guest, Neil Partridge. Welcome to the Coffee Pod, Neil. Hello again, Regina. Good to see you. Thanks very much for joining me. Kelly has this week taken her leave. So I'm back on hosting and um, really appreciate the fact you've come to join me for episode 13. And we're planning to talk about all things data protection and hopefully make it interesting for our listeners to listen to. So this week, what we've decided to have a talk about is general communication. So thinking about where there's risks, uh, particularly now we're coming into holiday season. I've just been on leave, uh, which was great, had a bit of a, a refresh. And obviously, as I said, Kelly's away. So it's that season where people are away and that increases the risk of potential impact of spam and phone calls coming from sources that they shouldn't and people responding to them and then looking more into some of the communications that it's okay to receive and giving some reassurance about what you can and can't do when you're communicating with customers and stakeholders. I know you had a couple of examples on the uh, increased spam phishing calls that and, and emails that are coming through at the moment, Neil. Did you want to elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. And you know what? I don't think I'm going to surprise anybody with these. We've all had these, haven't we? We had a phone call yesterday purporting to be from HMRC, perhaps mm-hmm. coping to catch us while we're sat on a beach somewhere and alarming us that we're actually about to be sued by HMRC. I don't know HMRC wow. sued anybody, funnily enough. I've also had several organisations contact us quite recently. I'd love to know where they got our data from, but they've contacted us recently to help me with a car accident that apparently I had. It's normally when I ask them for their um, their claims number or SRA number that they vanish. But we are getting these, but we're also entering peak season. And watch out for these stories because they're going to come in the media. The old chestnut of, um, it's where we dovetail with cybersecurity. And perhaps your system was infiltrated weeks and months ago and you didn't know this. And uh, perhaps your managing partner or managing directors um, or financial directors details were somehow appropriated misappropriated and uh, then his son or daughter or her son or daughter takes a picture of the whole family on the beach because they've just landed in Spain now that the Covid lockdown is sort of eased there mm-hmm. and of course whoever's had those details about the managing partner or the managing director realises the whole family's on the beach and sends an email to the financial uh, assistant at the uh, at the company and says please could you transfer some money and of course there's no way of getting hold of the managing director because they're on holiday so this is peak season for this kind of thing happening misuse of data that way absolutely and it's such a risk many companies can really fall foul of it and just in terms of responding quickly at those points where there's like an initial reaction to think oh my goodness something bad's going to happen so i must respond and that initial instinct as sort of a human being to think oh, what do I do, is heightened at certain times. Like say, if you were on the beach and got that type of phone call, you might panic because you can't get into your usual systems. Certainly, I know that in studies they've looked at, the ICO have looked at, I believe, sort of when breaches typically happen. And a lot of them, the most popular day for organisations to be breached is, is a Friday. And obviously, you know, it'll be Friday afternoon, half past four, somebody phones up, can you very quickly give me this information? Or can you pay this fine? And people panic and they go, oh, you know, I've got to do it now before the weekend. And so they just, they're rushing out the door to to go and see family, to, you know, in the old days, go to the pub. And it's that kind of, people know that, the, the, the hackers know that, the people after your money know that. And so they're going to use those instincts for their own gain. So I think our real sort of warning here is to be aware of your system's security in the first instance, to try and make sure that there's no 
infiltration to monitor who's actually accessing and where they're accessing from, making sure that you know, if you question at any point, always question what something is, you know, be healthily suspicious. I'm always the same, encouraging people, my friends on Facebook to be suspicious of things that they share because misinformation is shared so easily. And I think it all breeds this culture of, oh my goodness, I've got to do something. And then that leads to people losing out money and that can lead to massive distress for individuals. I think I would add to that. Uh, we a recent um, survey I did of um, actually imagery. It's a, if you try and get our heads, it's important we get our heads into the mindset of the average data subject. I'm an average data subject myself. I know mm -hmm. a little bit about data protection, but I'm still a data subject. And if you think about sort of the mindset of most people, the average person on the street, I'm an average person. And you said to them, you know, what does if, if sum up data protection in a single image? And, the, and I show people a range of images. The vast majority of people will look at a picture of a microchip with a lightning bolt going through it. Or if you mention data protection, they'll show you a, a hacker wearing a hoodie in a dark, smoky mm -hmm. room. Funny enough, wearing gloves. I don't know how anybody can type yeah. <laughs> wearing gloves, but that's a different story. Whereas in actual fact, the, the true picture, the true image of data protection is people. Because it's the same old adage, you can put rubbish into a computer, you'll get rubbish out, but it's a person that puts rubbish in. And mm -hmm. over 90% of data breaches and data problems are due to human beings. Either human beings being tricked into doing something they shouldn't, or perhaps human beings simply forgetting to update a security control. So I think it's we have to understand, all of us, that actually this is a people problem, but there is a general misconception that technology will save us. But just as you've pointed out, uh, Regina, technology does save us every day, but you've got to be aware of this as a human being when you get that funny phone call at half past four on a Friday when you're about to go on holiday, and by the way, the hacker knows that because you post on your Facebook account, yay, I'm going on holiday today. That's when you get that phone call. It's a human control. And that's what everyone's got to so just, just keep at the back of their mind. Absolutely. And that's certainly where we focus our attention, day to basics, which is, um, I think, something that, that sets us apart a little bit. And I think probably then leading on from that, just talking about the technology, I think um, one of the things that we've mulled over this week has been a shift that people might not necessarily have noticed with everything that's sort of going on at the moment. But last week, the European Court of Justice actually determined that a mechanism that we all use probably pretty routinely as businesses to use the technological systems that we're the, the kind of databases that we're using to collect customer data or to store customer data, where those systems are based in America, that we've used something called Privacy Shield, which has enabled that transfer of personal data, which means that US-based companies will protect EU citizens' data in the same way that the GDPR expects it to be protected, as American data protection laws are very different. And the EU Court of Justice actually determined that that was not a legal framework to continue using, which has a, a potential massive impact on how data is stored and transferred across the, the EU, which obviously still includes us at this present moment. It's, I, it's a really interesting story, uh, Regina, a really interesting one. Now, in actual fact, I was trying to find an analogy for this this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've come up with several analogies, and I've, I've tried to find one that's not too extreme. But I would say it's an awful, <laughs> it's an awful lot like you're used to driving your car or getting on a train to go from A to B. And you do it every day. You put this data there or you move this data from there every single day. We don't think twice about it. But you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll make that journey to the supermarket and you wake up and all of a sudden overnight someone's ripped up the road you can no longer make that connection you can no longer make that journey now potentially the implications are very similar uh, all of a sudden we are we could find ourselves 
working outside of the Privacy Shield. The Privacy Shield designed to sort of dovetail the different uh, data protection and privacy regulations are, uh, across both sides of the Atlantic. That has almost, and I, again, we're, we're looking into this, but it's, it's almost evaporated. So how do we now safely and legitimately hold data in the United States? Or if you like, hold data about UK citizens, European citizens in the United States. And we're, I'd love to see some guidance on that because it, at the moment, the ICO has been quite scant about it. They have. I mean, for the moment, they are suggesting that where you're already using systems and you're relying on Privacy Shield, then to continue doing so for the moment while they establish what their further guidance is going to be. They have said that nobody should begin to use Privacy Shield to rely on a new system. So it's not overly helpful at the moment for organisations who can be left in a little bit of limbo, particularly, you know, there's a lot of software that comes out of the US and it's something that I would I would hazard a guess to say that pretty much every business in the UK is going to be affected by. So I think sort of stage one for, for me would to be to say to check what your systems are and check whether or not you know where they're hosted and whether or not you are relying or they are relying on Privacy Shield because that must that's got to be the first step. You need to understand what data you have and whether it's going to be affected and what the mechanisms are. So somebody like Google, for example, obviously they are US-based. There was a statement earlier in the year that the data that they hold about UK citizens and UK businesses will be transferred over to the States. But in their data processor agreement that they make you sign when you're using their facilities for business, they've got standard contract clauses. So that's another mechanism that's acceptable within GDPR to transfer data securely to the US. So it's likely that Google is not going to be as affected as maybe some smaller organisations, which may well just be relying on Privacy Shield or saying that they've signed up to Privacy Shield in their privacy notice. So for me as a UK business, and it's really important that people map their data and understand this is what we're holding. This is where it's stored in the U in its US. And they, if they are relying on Privacy Shield, you're well within your rights to have a conversation and just find out what they're planning to do about it. And then for yourselves to then consider that risk around what happens if guidance comes out that says we can no longer do this. How do you make sure that the data that you want to have access to in the systems that you're using can continue to be used? And that risk assessment of what if they can't and what's your plan of action for them so that you're not caught out by this unexpectedly when the, when the guidance comes out. Well, it was, of course, this particular, I mean, it was the Privacy Shield was challenged by an individual and it was the mm -hmm. European Court of Justice that, um, that said, actually, this is a valid challenge. And um, they basically upheld the challenge. Uh, one of the things, so we're going to find that, I'm sure, uh, that depending on how the, the dice fall here, there could be a lot of claims. There could be a lot of, um, uh, in the future, I mean, who, who knows, if it gets really bad, insurers could get involved if people uh, start uh, really misbehaving. But... I think another element to that to look at, Regina, another top tip, if you like, from my court would be, and fully supportive of what you're saying, manage, understand where your data is processed. Part of that, and this is a really easy thing to do, actually, for most organisations, but bearing in mind that a lot of us are working remotely right now. Mm -hmm. Know what applications you're using. So if you've got an application that you're using, and I hate to say this, but a lot of the free ones <laughs> are some of the worst ones, they do a yeah. great service. But unfortunately, what happens is, 
you may store you may have some sort of document storage or sharing facility while you're working remotely it's wonderful um, but the problem is it actually stores a copy of that in the united states and guess what it carry it holds personal data mm. now potentially you've got a privacy shield issue um, so and what makes it worse is whilst you might say to your employees while you're working from home guys this is the software you and apps on your smart devices that you're going to use 48 percent of people in a recent poll said while they've been remote working they've not necessarily used the software they were told to use. So yeah. you as a business who are doing your Article 30 record, which is your map of data, your processing, to be able to know what you're processing properly, you need to know what tools your team are using. We're coming back to this human issue again, aren't we? Yeah. Which means that you need to know when you've got remote workers. So let's, you know, let's look at that as a hot topic. It is a hot topic. We're remote working. What software are your staff really using? And just get to know that, find that out, because that will be useful, as you say, Regina, when the real guidance comes in, you'll be in a much more informed position to take action. And I think the final thing there is for any software providers out there is really, you know, if you need to rely on, if you need to rely on Privacy Shield, start thinking about what else you need to look at and um, keep an eye on the guidance. But if you don't rely on Privacy Shield already and you want to reassure your existing customers that they will be able to continue to use your service uh, because you've already got standard contract clauses in place, then, you know, you are able to write to them. It's part of the service update. You don't need their consent to do that. Um, you are providing guidance and reassurance about their service that they're receiving from you. And that is part of the contractual agreement that you would have. And that's where that communication would fit. We know that often people get worried about sending emails and communication without consent but there are other bases that you can use and so um, don't be afraid to proactively look and reassure your customers if you can about either what you're doing to deal with the privacy shield issue or let them know that you're using standard contract clauses already but on that note again those 15 minutes have whizzed past so quickly so it's really just time to say thank you very much for for joining me again, Neil, and I believe you'll be back again next week because Kelly's still on leave. Um, if that's all right, we can find some more juicy topics to chat about. Um, obviously, if our listeners have got anything that they would like to explore or ask or want us to cover, then please do get in touch with us at our email address, which is coffee at dbxuk.com. We'd love to hear from you and get any feedback on what you think of our podcasts or any questions that you may have. So that's it for another week. Thank you very much indeed, Neil. Thank you very much. <laughs>